It's in the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue on Ephesians 2, verse number 8 and verse number 9. What we'll do this morning is we'll all read it together, if you can do that with me. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And I'll give you another second. I still hear a few pages turning and a few phones scribbling through. No, I'm just teasing. And uh, Ephesians 2, verse number 8, let's read it together. The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Father, I pray you bless the time that we have here this morning. Thank you for your love, thank you for your mercy, and thank you for your grace. We need you. I pray that as we come to the scripture today and as we study Amen. If you may be seated. If you need a copy of the outline, Ryan has those. If you'd like a copy, if you slip your hand up, got Bridget up here. And um, all right, if you need a copy, get that. And we'll dive right into the message today. I think everybody's good. All right. Ephesians 2. And this morning, for the next little bit, if you want, yeah, Ryan, we can close that door there. That way I don't see all the distractions in the foyer. It's amazing how many distractions go on during a service. And, uh, you know, we've got about 35, 40 minutes. The best thing to do is to just sit in the room and you can make it, all right? Just sit. And uh, when we walk out, the distractions we cause, not me, I'm one of those that gets distracted very easy. It's something about my person. I don't know what it is. But um, we help distract things going on in the room. So let's just stay together for the next little bit. And I promise not to preach too long. I only have 14 pages of notes for two verses today. I said, though, last service, when I have 14 pages of notes, the sermon goes a little quicker than if it's three pages. The three pages are the ones you got to worry about. 14 pages, it moves along pretty well, so you should be okay today. But for the next little bit, I want you to pay attention and look at several things in the world today. And uh, as we look at this, these verses, we learned about the beginning of chapter number two. Our, before, our condition before salvation. We saw last week how God stepped in and what God has done for us. And then we see Paul going even deeper into it this week. And as we dive in, one of the things I notice in Christianity today, and I don't have a lot of pet peeves, or maybe I do, I don't know, but I, I like to be biblical when it comes to biblical terms. And a lot of times, people are not very biblical in their terminology and what they say. I ask many a person, are you saved? And these are the responses I get. Yeah, I've been baptized. I hear, I gave my life to Christ. And technically, you don't give your life to Christ, but that one, that one at least. And then, but, and then I hear other responses, I've been a good person, and you hear a list of different things. But I hear a lot, even in our church, of people that come and hear preaching week in and week out, when were you saved? Well, I got baptized in 19 such and such. Baptism does not save a person. It has nothing to do with salvation. And I want to help us today. If you're here today and you're trusting in something other than Jesus Christ for your salvation, you're missing it. He is the only way. There is no substitute. There's no other way around it. Jesus Christ is our only hope and what he did. 
And you might be saying, Pastor, it seems like, man, we are talking about salvation a lot. We're just going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. It's a common theme throughout the book. And there's several things today that as we look at, I want you to dive, as we dive into, I want you to see a lot of things. The message is very simply titled Salvation, God's Way. Salvation, God's Way. In our world, man likes to do things man's way. Man has ideas, man has philosophies, man has their way of trying to do things. And let me just tell us this morning, the book is what we need. We need to follow the word of God and do what it says. We need to be people of the book. We should trust God's word. Not what men say, and even though it's not politically correct to people around us, I'd much rather be biblically correct than politically correct today. And you hear, you hear in the news and you hear about some of these candidates that are going to be running for president and how we'll take tax-exempt status from churches if they preach against homosexuality and things. Go ahead. Who, no one's, they're not going to threaten me about preaching the word of God. So what would we do if we started getting taxed? Oh, I guess God's not big enough to take care of that too, right? I guess we just don't trust him enough that he'll take care of everything. No, he'll take care of whatever. But we need, to be, we need to stand up for the truth and what's right in our world today. When it comes to salvation, I want to help us see it God's way today. And make sure that you understand it God's way. Since the dawn of time and since Adam and Eve in the garden when they sin, man has been seeking redemption from his guilt and sin their own way. Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned, they sewed fig leaves on themselves to cover up their shame, their nakedness. And God came still, but in their own efforts to cover themselves up, they still could not be before God. God comes along, and God helps them out. And God gives out some punishments there, as well as he also clothes them, and there's the shedding of blood for sin. God's way of doing it. From the beginning, Adam and Eve, you go to their two sons, Cain and Abel. And we see that Cain and Abel brought a sacrifice to God, both of them. And God accepts one sacrifice, and God rejects the other sacrifice. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter number 4, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Verse number four, and Abel, he, he also brought up of the firstling of his flock and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto, the, unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth in his countenance. Cain approached God based on his works. This is what I brought out of the ground. Abel approaches God on the basis of faith. Both of them approach God. God rejects one and accepts the other. Because there's God's way of doing things and there's man's way of doing things. Humanity is born into this world with a void. There's an empty space in the heart of every man or woman that's ever born into this world that people are seeking to fill. People attempt to fill this void in with sex, drugs, al alcohol, and other works of the flesh. Some seek to fill that void 
by the religious duties that they perform. Their works and self-imposed goodness makes them feel better about themselves and scratches the deep itch within their soul for something to fill the void that they have. The history of mankind is filled with sin and religion. Both of these are the efforts of people who are trying to fill the emptiness within their heart and trying to produce something themselves to fill that void. The problem is, with living a life of sin, it always ends in death and eternal separation from God. The problem with being in human religion, the problem with human religion and good works, is that it always ends in death, hell, and separation from God. Religion does not save today. Good works do not save today. I think they're jumping up and down in class right now. And so I'm not quite sure what they're doing. Sometime we're going to make a bunch of noise up here and disrupt all their classes. And so I, I try to tell the teachers before, about 11.30ish we'll probably be into the sermon. And so they're just jumping around up there. Who knows what Belinda has them doing in that room. And I'm blaming Belinda. So ask her after the service what she has those kids doing up there. And so anyways, back to the sermon. I didn't know if an earthquake was coming or what was going to happen. And... Um, and I told you, see, I told you about distractions. Yep, but I remember where I'm at. Sin has consequences. Human religion does not fix those. The drunk, the drug addict, the harlot, the murderer, the thief, the liar, and every kind of sinner you want to mention, apart from Jesus Christ, is going to hell. But so are the people who are trapped in their false religions in this world. Say, that just doesn't, well, how could that be? Regardless of how sincere a belief system might be, those who have nothing more than religion are headed to hell. Whether they're Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, humanistic, atheist, agnostic, Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist, Mormon, Jehovah Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, Baptist, or any other religion that you base everything on works, it does not add up. That's right. It does not. We can never be good enough. If all we have is a belief in our system, we're lost and headed for judgment. That's why these verses before our eyes this morning are so important. In clear language, the Apostle Paul lays out God's way of salvation. These verses are among the most important in the entire Bible. They teach us exactly how to be saved. They teach about the way and the wonder of salvation. Let's look at this for a little bit this morning. As we talk about salvation, God's way, number one, we see the way of salvation. Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. These verses are a summary of all that Paul has told us about salvation up to this point. These verses represent the Lord's ultimate statement regarding salvation. You cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot. There's no way. By grace you're saved through faith 
and it is not because of you. There is nothing that I can do or that you can do to make your situation better. Christ did it. We put our faith in him. We'll talk more about that as we get through the message this morning. Paul talks about religion before us, about salvation, the way of salvation. There are many people who have many ways to salvation, but there's only one way. Paul talks about both the positive and the negative side of the way of salvation. Number letter A, we see the negative side of salvation. So what do you mean? The Bible says, not of works, lest any man should boast. The word works here refers to that which one undertakes to do, an enterprise, an undertaking, any product whatsoever, anything accomplished by hand, art, industry, or mind, an act, deed, thing done. What this is talking about, not of works, what it's saying here is this word speaks of any human effort that is performed in the hopes that they will secure salvation by performing an action. I've been to many a person's door and talked to many people. Are you saved? And yes, I'm saved. So, well, what, what does it mean to be saved? I'm a good person. I do good things. What does the Bible say? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Your good deeds do not add up. My good deeds do not add up. That's what the Bible says. We're saved by grace, not because of what we do. This flies in the face of thousands of years of human thinking and effort and religious activity. Man has always tried to have a part in their salvation. Thus man has developed thousands of competing religions that rely on good works, self-sacrifice, self-righteousness to save those practicing that religion. Why did the ancient Canaanites offer their children to Moloch? Why the ancient Phoenicians sacrificed their sexual purity to the god Baal and the goddess Asherah? Why do Hindus worship cows, monkeys, and snakes? Why would a mother in the jungles of Africa be willing to give her baby to a crocodile? Why would people be willing to do the things that they do? The common denominator behind it all is man is trying to help their cause to get to paradise or something better. That's what man's trying to do. And as we look at this and as we try and see this together, every religion devised by man requires him to put forth some sort of an effort to practice his religion and achieve his salvation. That is not what God intended it to be. It is all about what he did for us. Today, how many of you, how many of you like to bake? Anybody like to bake in here? Some of you ladies? Okay, how many of you like to make cake, bake a cake? How many of you, now let's be honest here, how many of you like to make it from scratch, the cake mix? How many of you like to buy the box in the store? Several hands are up. It worked. 
And uh, you say, oh, what's the big difference between scratch and, uh, and, bu- and buying a box in the store? I just do both. I scratch my head and I read the directions on the back. <laughs> and I can do it just fine. I make it from scratch every time. Um, several years back, one of the leading manufacturers that you buy in the store today developed a new cake mix that only required water to be added to it. They ran tests to it, surveys, and they found that their cake mix was superior in quality to the other mixes available. It tasted good, it was easy to make, it was moist, it was a tender cake, and this company, which you buy at the store, spent large sums of money on an advertising campaign and then released the cake mix to the general market. But few people bought the new cake mix. So the company then spent more money on a survey to find out why the cake mix didn't sell. And based on the results, the company recalled the mix, reworked the formula, and released the revised cake mix. The new cake mix required that one add not only water, but also an egg. And because you had to add just one more ingredient, it sold like hotcakes. And the red box you see that is, there's more of them than any other brand down that aisle. Yeah? People buy them. Difference was, well, what's the difference? The first cake was just too simple to believe. People wouldn't accept it. That's how salvation is. I must do, and I've heard people, I've witnessed them, I just can't come to grips with the fact that salvation, all I'm doing is saying, Lord, I believe in you and what you did, and I don't have to do anything to earn it. People have a hard time with that. It's like people with that cake mix. I just add water and it's going to be moist. Yeah, right. Give me the complicated one. And so they just make it, you add one egg, and all of a sudden, wow, people buy it like hotcakes because it's just a little bit more complicated. It must be good because it's more complicated. Well, we do the same thing with the Lord when it comes to these things. Paul tells us here that works are excluded from the process of salvation. Why? Lest any man should boast. The word boast is to glory in a thing. Could you imagine if we all worked our way to heaven and we're in heaven? Hey, Art, guess how I got here? I did this and I did this and hey, I did a really good job of this. And you would be going around heaven, hey, look at how I got here. I did some really good things in my life. That's what we would do. And if salvation were based on what we do, that's what heaven would be like. And that doesn't sound like heaven, hearing about all the wonderful things that you do. That sounds like sitting in my office as you're trying to talk about the sin that you're trying to get rid of, but you're telling me all the good that you can figure that all out yourself. But I'll tell you this, no, heaven's going to be is, hey, God saved me. And you see Jesus walking down those streets. Do you see those nail prints? So thankful for those nail prints. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. That's what heaven's going to be. Our faith, our belief is not in works. We cannot boast in what we do. That's why Paul talked about not boasting in anything or glorying in anything but the cross of Christ. If we depended on our works to get us to heaven, it would never be enough. There's a preacher who once used this illustration and said that salvation is like a frog falling into a large milk can. 
The frog cannot get out at first, so he keeps on kicking. And after kicking for a while, that frog turned that milk into butter, and he hopped right out. What an idiot. Anyways, did I say idiot? I didn't mean idiot. What a guy that needs some help. The implication, though, is being, if we work hard enough, we can guarantee our salvation by sincere, by sincerity and working hard and by really trying to please God through our own goodness. And that is false. You would die in your milk can. We used the example last week of a turtle on a fence post. The only way a turtle gets on a fence post is if someone puts it there. You never look at a turtle and be like, wow, that turtle is really good. He climbed up that thing and he got up there all by his own. And you always say, how in the, who put that turtle up there? How? That's what salvation is. It's what the Lord's done. Imagine a plane carrying a really good swimmer, an average swimmer, and a guy who cannot swim. The plane crashes in the ocean, and they're 1,000 miles from the shore. The champion swimmer tells the others, stay with me, and I'll get you out of this. So they hit the water. The man who couldn't swim drowns in just a few short moments. The average swimmer lasts about half an hour. And the championship swimmer swims for 24 hours and covered 50 miles till he perished. In the end, he drowns and fails. It's a great illustration of what our works can do. No matter how hard we try, they're never enough, and nor could they be enough to save ourselves from our sin. Apart from the grace of God and the blood of Jesus, we're hopelessly doomed, as we read about at the beginning of this chapter. No matter how much you want to change your life, you can never erase your sin and your guilt before God on your own. Works are never the answer. God's grace is. We see letter A as we talk about salvation today. We see the negative side of salvation. Letter B, we see the positive side of it. The positive side. The Bible says, therefore, by grace are ye saved through faith. If salvation does not result from being religious and being a good person or doing good things, then how does it work? Paul says it's through faith. What's faith? The word faith refers to a conviction of a truth of something, a belief. Saving faith is simply coming to the place where one believes with absolute conviction what God says is true. That's faith. The Bible talks about it and you think about it. Salvation is not the result of doing anything. It's the result of a lost sinner simply taking God at his word. That's clearly what the Bible teaches. Romans 10, 9, that thou shalt confess thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Could it be any more simple than that, what you see before your eyes? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Acts 16, 31, the Bible says, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. What gets a person saved? Belief in Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. It's not our good works. It's not our baptism. It's none of those things. It's our belief in Jesus Christ. The Bible's crystal clear on this matter. And when I say our belief, you'll see in a few minutes how grace and faith are gifts that come from God. 
So even in the end, we really don't do anything. He does it all. The Bible's crystal clear on the matter. The way of salvation is simply taking God at his word and believing the gospel. The gospel is very simply what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse uh, 3 and 4, and the wrong verse, the first verse is supposed to be verse 3. I gave Jay the wrong one on there. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, in verse 4, and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the Gospel. Romans 4.25, the Bible says, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That, my friends, is the Gospel. Some people will object and say they can't believe in Jesus. They think they can't have faith in something they haven't seen and don't know to be absolutely true. Fact is, you act in faith every single day of your life. We eat our food having faith that it's not contaminated. You can't see if it's contaminated or not. Well, some you can. I hope you avoid those ones. We swallow water believing by faith that it's safe to drink. Is your bottled water any better than that that's in the tap? Well, I pay for it. Have you ever tested it yourself? Have you ever seen a test done? No, you just have faith. Oh, I bought it, so it's got to be better than tap water. It's really what we do. We take medicine the doctor prescribes for us by faith, not knowing all the side effects, unless you're one of those that picks up that paper and reads every little detail on there. You don't know if it's going to cure, your, cure you or kill you. We put our money in the bank, trusting by faith that the money will be safe and they'll be there when I need to take it out. We get in our car and just expect it to start every time we put that key in. And maybe some of you in the room don't expect that with your car. And I understand, I used to have one of those cars too. Even the act of sitting here today, you didn't know for sure that chair would hold you. And you sat down, it's no big deal. Salvation comes when a lost sinner simply takes God at his word and believes what the Bible says about Jesus. God's word says that Jesus was born of a virgin. God's word says that he is the sinless son of God. God's word says that he came and died on a cross to pay for our sins. The Bible tells us that he rose again from the dead. The Bible tells us he ascended back into heaven. The Bible tells us he's coming again to receive his people. The Bible tells us that anyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. And it also tells us that our works cannot save us. Faith is saying, I believe what the book says. Faith also involves trust. There's a man in the, um, someone told a story which comes from the last century and kind of helps. There was in the early, in the, during the 1900s, a guy, his stage name was Blondin, and maybe I'm saying his name wrong, was a world famous acrobat. He was born in France in um, 1824, and Blondin became well known while still a child. As he grew, his skills and showmanship brought him fame throughout Europe and America. And once in London, he played the violin on a tightrope 170 feet off the ground and then did a somersault wearing stilts on a tightrope 170 feet in the air. His most spectacular feats were the crossing of the Niagara Falls on a tightrope 1,100 feet long and 106 160 feet above the water. On one occasion, he um, took a stove onto the tightrope and cooked an omelet 
above the roaring falls. On another occasion, he pushed a wheelbarrow across while blindfolded. On another occasion, he stood on his head on the wire. That's why in London, there are, this, there are Niagara and Blondin Avenues named after this guy. Once in an unusual demonstration of skill, Blondin carried a man across Niagara Falls on his back. After putting his rider down, he turned to the large crowd and asked a man close by, Do you believe I could do that with you? The man said, Of course, the man answered. I've seen you do it. Blondin turned to him and said, Hop on. I'll carry you across. And the man said, Not on your life. <laughs> There's no real faith without trust. And to be truthful, I wouldn't have gotten on his back either. I don't think he could have carried me. And I don't do things like that anyways. I have a hard time on this platform being too f I don't really. I, heights aren't that bad for me. I stay on the ground all the time. But think about it, Christian. There's a big time difference between someone walking a tightrope carrying someone on their back and Jesus Christ. He won't drop me. He won't let me fall. He'll carry me. Things aren't chance with him. Do you believe he died for your sins? Do you believe that he resurrected and lives today? You can trust him today. Our works will never get us into heaven. The only way into heaven is by faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Paul says this way in Philippians 3, verse number 9, and found in him, not having, look at this, mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of God, the righteousness which is of God by faith. When faith brings us to Jesus, we are given his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We see today the way of salvation. It's not of works, it's by his grace. And we see number two, and lastly, the wonder of salvation. Look at the beginning of verse number eight. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. The wonder of salvation. When we look at that, we think of all, first of all, letter A, we think of the wonder of his grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Paul tells us that this salvation that we comes to, that, we, that, that gives, comes to us by grace, Grace is God's the unmerited favor of God for the undeserving. The grace of God reached out to those who deserve nothing but hell. Nothing but judgment. Nothing but condemnation. The grace of God means that God turned his favor towards those who deserved his wrath. You think about it. We are dead. We could not help ourselves. And yet, God in his grace helped us, helped me. Two great examples, and there are plenty of other great examples in Scripture, but my first one, I always think of Mephibosheth. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, he was the son of Jonathan. First service, I had, I had several people come to me. He said he was the son of Saul. He's the son of Jonathan. I said, I know he's the son of Jonathan. I just... You have in front of people, and uh, 
I, I just hope that everyone paid attention to all the other words that were said and just didn't pick out the one thing that I didn't say right. Because what happens is it's kind of funny. People, and, and the people that did first service were very sincere, so I don't, it's whatever. But a lot of times people only pick up on the negative things I say because they're not really paying attention to get anything from God anyways. They just want to see me say something they don't like. If you're looking to find me to say things that you don't like, you probably won't like it. And I will tell you, there will be things I say that are not quite perfect because I'm not perfect. And I'm sorry. If you're looking for a perfect guy to get up and preach, then uh, go find someone else because you didn't find that one here. But maybe if you just pay attention, God can work and he can still be gracious enough to us to let us get signed with an imperfect guy speaking his word in the pulpit. Just a thought. Mephibosheth. Jonathan's son. This man was lost and doomed, had nothing. He lived in Lodabar, not the greatest of places to be living in those days. He was crippled. When Saul and Jonathan died, they took him to go hide him, is what they did, and he was dropped. And he was crippled the rest of his life because of it. He was poor, he was worthless. David owed nothing to Mephibosheth. In fact, David would have been within his rights to execute him because he was the next king. But David reached out to Mephibosheth. David sent his servants for him, took him out of his old home, and brought him to the palace. And not only did he bring him to the palace, but David basically adopted Mephibosheth as his own son and set him at the king's table. He was still crippled, but he belonged somewhere, and he belonged at the king's table. And grace changed Mephibosheth's life, and we are just like Mephibosheth. Worthless, hopeless, dead in our sins. And God was very gracious to us and changed things for us. I also think of Saul of Tarsus. Saul's a religious man, morally righteous, but his righteousness was based in his good works. In the eyes of God, Saul was a dirty, filthy sinner. And sometimes people have a hard time figuring this out. They think, oh, well, a person trying to do good works, why doesn't God just let them go to heaven because they're trying to do what's right? Don't you realize that's exactly what Saul was trying to do? He thought he was doing the work of God. He was wrong. He was instead hurting the cause of Christ. Because anything that goes against God, that's what it does. Saul of Tarsus, we see in God's eyes, he was a sinner. He was a man who hated the name of Jesus, persecuted the church. He deserved nothing but judgment and hell. Yet the Lord loved him and reached out to him. And grace changed the life of Saul. Every person in this room that is saved knows the wonderful, amazing, awesome grace of God. We know there's no good in us. We know that all we deserve is hell. And we know that God would be perfectly just to judge us. But thank God he doesn't. God takes lost, dead, deceived, depraved, doomed sinners, and he saves them by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the wonder of his grace, which leads us to letter B. And lastly... The wonder of his gift. Look at that verse, verse number eight. For by grace are ye saved through faith, 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We've been told about the way of salvation. How is it? It's through faith. Correct? Correct? We're all still on board together? Good, we're still all together. We've been told about the wonder of salvation. It's by His grace. Then, now get this real close. Pay real close attention to this verse. Don't miss this. Just get this with me real quick. We see here that neither grace nor the faith came from within us. The grace that sought us and the faith that saved us are gifts of God. We could not even believe in Jesus Christ until he came to us and gave us faith to believe in him. We were dead. Get that? Think about that with me for a minute. One of my favorite songs that we sing, one of my favorite Christian songs of all time, is It Is Well With My Soul. And uh, one of the things I, I hear sometimes people will sing it as a special, and they'll sing, and it's probably a pet peeve of mine, I know, but they'll sing that last verse, and Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, is the way some people sing it. That's not how it was written. Because it's not my faith. It's the faith. That's why it's worded that way in the song. It's a gift from God. The act of faith is ours to make, but the faith to act on came from God. John MacArthur says this, and I'm not, I don't follow John MacArthur on a lot of things he says, because there's a lot of dumb things he says, and uh, there's a lot of dumb things Brian Patterson says too. But faith is simply breathing the breath that God's grace supplies. The wonder of salvation is that God in his grace saves sinners by giving them the faith to believe in Jesus Christ. Do you remember the day you got saved? you remember the day you were blind, but now you see? Do you remember the glory of believing on him for salvation? That's what his amazing grace is all about. That's why a man like John Newton could pen these words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. "'Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail, and mortal life shall cease. I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Interesting note, and just a side note, he pinned all those words, 
our songbooks only normally carry about four verses of the song. And uh, why don't they carry the rest? The other ones are pretty good too. So just a little thought there. So when we sing a song like Amazing Grace and My Chains Are Gone, those, he wrote those ones just like the other ones. So just remember that. Say all of that to say this. Salvation is a gift. God reaches out to offer us what we cannot do for ourselves. And he'd offer us salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. Are you saved today? Say, why, you, you talk a lot about salvation recently. Are you saved? What are you trusting in? Pastor, I, to, I, I told you I was baptized. That's not salvation. Baptism is works. Baptism does not save you. That's what the Bible says. Works do not save. Pastor, I've been a good person, and I'm trying to do my very best. I understand that, and thank you for trying to be a good person. But your goodness never adds up to God's righteousness. You cannot do it on your own. What are you trusting in today? What's your faith in today? God's offering you a pardon. Do you reject the free gift of salvation through Jesus? In the year 1829, a Philadelphia man named George Wilson robbed the U.S. mail and killed someone in the process. Wilson was arrested, brought to trial, found guilty, and sentenced to be hanged. Some friends intervened in his behalf and were finally able to obtain a pardon for him from President Andrew Jackson. But when he was informed of this, George Wilson refused to accept the pardon. The sheriff was unwilling to enact the sentence for how could he hang a pardoned man. An appeal went to President Jackson. The perplexed president turned to the United States Supreme Court to decide the case. Chief Justice Marshall ruled that a pardon is a piece of paper, the value of which depends on its acceptance by the person implicated. It is hardly to be supposed that a person under the sentence of death would refuse to accept a pardon. But if it is refused, then it is not a pardon. George Wilson must be hanged, so George Wilson was executed although his pardon lay on the sheriff's desk. God has made an offer of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and salvation to you. In order to receive the offer, you must believe in his son, Jesus Christ, to be eternally saved. If you want to go to heaven, you must receive the pardon. To reject the pardon is to die lost and to go to hell been offered to you what are you doing with it you can die in your sins or you can trust jesus and so many people how do you how do you know how do you know that that's right every religion says that they're right they do we have a book that's been tried throughout time and it's true I'll take what God says in this book over anything else said by any other religion or man anytime, anywhere in the history of mankind. It's offered to you. What do you do with it? Well, I just don't think you're like that person that won't buy that cake mix because all they have to do is add water. I don't think it makes a good cake. 
Most of those people that didn't buy it and that were surveyed didn't buy it. They didn't even try it. How do you know? I get told often by some of you sitting in this room, how do you know that's not good? You haven't even tried it. True. How do you know you don't like that? Internal instinct. I just know. You know, a couple days ago I offered to get Ryan lunch at school. And he says, no, I really got the, I'm really excited for my lunch. I'm having cactus and beans. <laughs> cactus and beans. That sounds wonderful. Cactus and beans. They don't even give that to guys in prison. They give them something better. Cactus and beans. You say, well, have you tried it? Maybe it's good. But I've seen other things that that guy eats. So I don't trust his taste buds. Fair enough. You know it's true. Say It's just too simple. It's what the Bible says. Trust God. Let God be true and every man a liar. You can trust God. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let today be that day. We're going to have an invitation in just a minute, and I'm going to be honest with you. Last service, we did not have one guest in our last service, but there were two people in that auditorium last service that raised their hand that they got saved. Terminology, things matter. Jesus Christ is the only way. And if you're trusting in something other than Jesus, you're missing it. And this is the thing. As we sit here, we've talked about it before. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who convicts. Amen. And you know right now, those that are saved, you know you're saved. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. But if you're not saved, you know that as well right now. And maybe God's convicting you right now. Say, but I've been coming to church for years. Whew, I would not be worried about coming to church for years. I'd be worried about my name written in heaven. That's what would matter to me. I don't care how long you've been going to church. I'd make sure that I'm saved and I know the Lord. When everybody's head bowed and every eye closed this morning.